Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, as most of you already know, the Jazz lost a thriller in overtime in Philadelphia. The Sixers come back, tie the game at 118 with a clutch three-pointer from Joel Embiid. And there are many things to talk about with this game. Many things that went wrong. A lot of it's going to be about the officiating for the next four hours. They do sense because Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert both went off in the post game, and you'll hear their comments coming up in the best of the post game show later this hour. <coughs> and uh, and they were furious, and not just about this game, but about trends across this season. And I know a lot of you are upset about the end of the game, but I thought more telling was the middle of the game. And by the time it was ninety two ninety two, Quinn Snyder was calling timeout, and he was furious with the refs and if there's been one constant with Quinn he did not even I think address the refs or speak to them the first couple years he's a new coach in the league and his team wasn't very good and he's just all focused on getting the team better maybe building up some credibility to the refs hey this guy doesn't complain or whine or cry and he was as mad as I've seen him and we've seen him mad a few times um (laughs) <laughs> but he was furious. He was really worked up during the game, waving his arm at him. I think it was after a no call from Mike Conley. And as much as I know we're going to hear today about calls, I thought the no calls were bigger in this game. And if we set aside the refereeing and actually get to the basketball, which I sense we're not going to do a lot of today, but if we were to do that right now, I would say a couple things. One, the Jazz came out and played with the fire and the determination that I think we all wanted to see. Certainly that I wanted to see, but I think that most of us wanted to see. I thought they played pretty well. I think if there's one thing I would tweak, um, less isolation basketball and move the ball. I thought when the ball really moved, Philly had no answers. They, they couldn't defend the Jazz. And the Jazz did go to some isolation stuff, and they, they, they always have some success with it because Donovan's good at it and Jordan Clarkson's good at it. Um, but off the eyeball test, and I don't have any numbers to back this up. We'll have David Locke on later today. I'm sure he'll have the numbers. Um, I just think they're, I think they're harder to defend. And they get some results out of isolation, but I think they get better results when the ball moves. And, uh, you know, as good as Jordan is off the dribble, he's good in the catch-and-shoot game. I thought he hit a big, hit a big three-pointer late in that game <clears throat> off the, uh, the catch-and-shoot. I think Donovan found him. So I thought there were some good things there. Uh, if they play like that in the second half of the season, they'll win a lot of games. Can they play like that when they're fatigued in the second half of the season? Can they play like that when the calls are going against them? You know, and it, and it feels like the refs are against them. Um, I've said this multiple times on the air. I, I played high school basketball, um, and I loved it and I had a good time, and I was remarkably average. I did ref a little bit uh, when I was in high school, and I found it to be really hard, partly because the people playing the game don't know the rules. <laughs> Plus, there's just a lot of judgment calls, and that's where I think the Jazz feel like they got jobbed. You know, there was a foul where Rudy had his arm on Embiid as Embiid went up um, to put a rebound back in. Now, I think we need to remember the fact that was the Sixers' third shot on that possession. The Jazz have to get a rebound, and then that doesn't happen. Uh, but what was frustrating was they felt like they'd been fouled harder and it had been a no call at the other end. You know, and all that judgment stuff adds up. I think going after the refs after the game while satisfying in the moment because there's a lot of frustration, I don't think it pays off. And I think we know that for a fact. Um, Rudy went after the refs probably about three years ago. Uh, they lost a game to Dwayne Wade in the Heat. Maybe it was two years ago. December of 18, maybe. And... 
Wade shot free throws either a second or two late in the game or right at the end with no time on the clock. It was way, way at the end. And, and they lost the game. And Rudy went off afterwards. And he got fined like fifteen grand. And then in the next game, they were playing the Rockets, and Rudy got called for a foul on the jump ball. Literally 11.59 left in the first quarter. He was in the book with a foul. And they kicked him out three minutes in. And I think he trashed some water cups on his way out. <clears throat> went back and lifted weights in the back and posted them to social media and then took them down. <laughs> and I think the Jets actually won the game. But the point is, refs have a memory and they stick up for each other. And so I don't think you're going to get more calls. Now, you may feel like you're not getting enough calls, but guess what? This has been going on in the NBA forever. This has been going on in the NBA longer than Dick Bavetta. I mean, you can go back to his rookie year. It was happening before that. We can't even blame it on Dick Bavetta. It's that long. You know, you can go back 20 years to the statues, and everybody remembers calls. And I know everybody thought they didn't get calls with Boozer and Williams and Kirilenko and O'Kerr and that group playing the Lakers three times in four years. Uh, do you think the Jazz are going to get calls now? Nobody in the league thought the league got calls against Magic. Everybody thought he refereed his own playoff games, just like he refereed his own summer pickup games at UCLA. And Wilt Chamberlain never fouled out of an NBA game. So that's back to the 60s and... I don't know if he was in the NBA in the late 50s or not. I think he wasn't. Uh, but certainly all through the 60s. Maybe he was for a year. So if this has been going on since Wilt, if this has been going on for more than half a century, is it about to change now because jazz players got mad in the locker room? Because I'm pretty sure the answer to that is no. And, you know, Quinn Snyder talked about we always we have to play through the contact. We have to play through the bad calls. I mean, take a shot in the dark right now, jazz fans. It's not right. Okay, it's not right. But how's this going to go in the playoffs? Think the Jazz are going to get more calls than Lakers and Clippers? Jazz will get some. They got some in last night's game. I just don't think they got enough. So, all right, well, I'm sure we'll knock this pinata around all morning long, talk about the refereeing again. I thought they played better. I think they need to move the ball more and play less isolation offensively. That was my takeaway from the game. And Bede's a beast. I thought they defended well. 118 is a big number. I knew I threw out the 120 number, and statistically that's what holds. Um they probably won't see the Sixers again. I know they're talking on the broadcast, and Harper was talking about it, but the odds of them both being in the finals, I think, are pretty minimal. Um, and Bede's a beast, and he crushes a lot of defenses. And if they, if they let him lower the shoulder, which he got to do on, on Rudy a couple of times, because he's a star and he gets star treatment, Donovan gets to jump sideways and get three free throws. I don't know what to tell you. Star treatment's wrong. Unless it's your guy, then it's awesome. <laughs> Who shot the most free throws in NBA history? Carl Malone. Carl Malone. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, college football, Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks, and then we'll get to the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome back Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network Analyst. Yogi, good morning. Good morning, indeed. The Pac-12 schedule is out, so we thought we'd have you on. We take a, a break in the wall-to-wall jazz uh, nonstop coverage we give you here with the jazz uh, tearing things up. But there's always time for college football in Utah, as you well know. Let's go, man. I, I love it. <laughs> 
So I love talking to you guys. So I see a lot of things reading different stories on different team schedules, but if there's one thing that jumped out at me, it's that USC was given a bye before Notre Dame. Somebody in the conference office or the conference ADs is thinking, you know, the Pac-12 rep has taken a beating here the last few years. USC winning in South Bend, that would be a big deal. Let's give them a bye and give them a chance to get ready. You reading the same yeah. stuff into it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the job of the conference is to, you know, take a competitive league and put everybody in the best position for their respective team. So uh, I'm sure it was considered. Uh, it is the latest they'll play in South Bend since 1993. So there's a little bit of that of like, hey, if you're an SC team, most kids are from, you know, the Bakersfield Beltway, if you will, from Bakersfield to San Diego on this roster. It's over 65% of the roster. So it's not like these guys are going to love going to the snow in South Bend if that's what the weather is like. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I hope – I, mean, I know that there was consideration into making sure that the teams are not put in precarious scenarios. We've seen those in the past. So I, I love the move, and it's a, it's a great move. Build up the hype. Hopefully Notre Dame is a top-10 team, and SC, they'll have a chance. And the game against Utah prior to that, of course, is going to – you know, launch them in the trajectory is a is a real quality win if they can get it. So, Yogi, what's going to be your first official act when you are named commissioner of the Pac-12? <laughs> first act, uh, make sure I'm on your show every week. There you yeah, go. Yes, I like it. Right there. Pac-12 yeah. <laughs> yeah. commissioner Yogi Roth joins us now. No, exactly right. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. I think it's a really exciting time for our conference. Um, and I, you know, I've known Larry Scott since you know, he got the job. I was coaching. I was at SC, and uh, I remember when he was, he came down to LA, and I met him for the first time. And it's really exciting. And I think there's a lot of great things that he did in his tenure in terms of you know television, et cetera, as we got going. But I, I think all of us, him included, would agree that you know it's it's time for a change. We, we see that all the time. You know what you guys experienced in Utah with Cal Whittingham is so uh, you know uncommon in sports, let alone college sports. So I think it's I think it's a good thing in terms of turning the page um, and getting a fresh narrative, right? A fresh narrative, and to me that's really exciting. And if there was one thing I would do, um, and one thing that I think will be done, and, and I think it's been done, and really not not gotten a lot of play, and we do a lot of things in this conference for players that nobody talks about, right? So health insurance, they have it longer in this conference than any other conference, and their playing career is over. Investment into mental health, investments into social justice, investment into concussion studies. Uh, we do a lot for the players. I would double down on that. You know, with NIL and everything happening, um, I hope the Pac-12 conference becomes the players' conference and a conference where anybody who's getting recruited here says, "Yeah, man, why am I leaving you know, the Pac-12 footprint to go to the South? Like that is ludicrous." And you look at the forward-thinking model of just media in general. Um, so that's what I hope happens, and I believe that's going to happen, and I look forward to the next couple of years because it's going to be crazy with NIL and everything that a commissioner is going to have to navigate, and of course the media rights at the Pac-12 conference and the Pac-12 networks. But to me, it's a premier job. Like, how exciting is that? Like, you're not just coming in and just operating business as usual. You get to come in and you're part of major changes. And, oh, by the way, you get to live on the West Coast. Like, you want to be in college sports. I don't know if there's a better job administratively in college athletics, in my opinion, in terms of location, living, and the reality of what you're going to be able to do. So it really bugs you when you see California kids going to Alabama, running off to the SEC or Big Ten? 
It's bugging you big time. Well, the, the bug to me is, and I, I'm, I'm doing this new podcast series with quarterbacks about the phrase, what does it mean to make it? Right? And I talked to, um, I haven't aired him yet, but I just talked to Malik Zaire yesterday who went to Notre Dame. I talked to Brandon Harris, who was a huge recruit, went to LSU. And both of those guys talked about fit. And I think a lot of times when you're seeing, and they weren't in the right fit. They both ended up leaving their school. But they were recruited. They fell in love with the process. They were local products. Um, or they wanted to leave their footprint and, and go somewhere else. And the more and more I talk to high-profile players, um, a lot of times, and sometimes it works out, right? Now, Najee Harris, who was the perfect fit, right, to Alabama, and look what he did. You know, he's a guy who was playing as well as anybody in the country last year at Alabama. But my point is that a lot of times in recruiting, guys go to places because, and I've talked to them, they were just in the playoffs. It's a sexy thing. It's the hot thing. Uh, they just sent a couple guys to the Heisman. All notable things that help in recruiting versus, hey, what's the best fit for me? Now, where, where really should I play to develop where my family can see me, where I feel comfortable, where the coaching staff continues to recruit my high school so it's not like they don't care about me when I'm there necessarily? All the things that are realities in college football, um, I don't think players, and it's fair, don't recognize it until they're later in their career or after their career. So, yeah, it bugs me when I look at it and I'm like, what's up with that fit, right? Ali Caho, when he left UW to go to Alabama, it was like, where did that come from? came out of completely left field. And then when you study it, a lot of the guys that leave the footprint and take off, uh, they, you know, granted it's early in that relative process, but they don't always thrive. Right? You can go up and down the list. I mean, there's quarterback that went to Miami 15 years ago. Probably should have stayed in the Pac-12. I mean, I can give you examples left and right. Um, so overall, um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, unless that is the right fit, unless you do fall in love with everything about it versus just what that program has done in most recent times. Oh, Yogi, you're speaking my language. I've said it to you and on air many times here as an ASU grad watching the Big 12 title game with both quarterbacks being from the state of Arizona uh, last year. I didn't really like that. I could sort of live with both quarterbacks from being the state of Arizona with uh, Oregon and SC last year. So you had four quarterbacks in the state of Arizona. Neither of them had stayed, and none of them stayed in Arizona. But now, Ohio State, the uh, successor to Fields, might be an, an Arizona kid. So it's just it's plagued this conference. And I think that of all the things, you know, we can talk about direct TV and not having the Pac-12 network and blah, blah, blah. You can come up with a bunch of reasons. But I think I would put that right at the top of the list as far as kids taking off. To see a, a Clemson have a kid from you know, right down the street, metaphorically, from two L.A. schools and just a few hours away from Arizona, that really does bother me. And I think the conference, if they can get a hold on that, then and they're going to be right where they want to be. Yeah, I think um, I'm with you on that. I think, you know, I think it's challenging um, right now when you look at recruiting because players are doing what I referenced. I think there's three schools that have separated themselves in college football in Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama to a degree in recruiting and the way that they recruit uh, and, and, quite frankly, the way that they play. Uh, but I do think that these three factors are going to lead and have led to players staying home uh, in no particular order, one being COVID-19. Uh, I think what we found is players that are far away from their families uh, weren't comfortable, didn't enjoy that. I think at least in the immediacy of recruiting, 
and you know, not knowing the realities of what this virus is going to do to at least his upcoming college football season. We still don't know what fans are going to be like all across the country. Um, it's just kind of too hard to predict. So I think there's something there that has kept players home. Uh, and then you add in the last two recruiting cycles, nobody could go visit in last year's, and now there's still a dead period up until the summer. right? So how much visitation is really going to happen? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But in my opinion, that's factor number one. Factor number two uh, is NIL, right? as I referenced earlier. You, know, you grow up in L.A. and you're Corey Foreman. Why are you leaving? Right? Even Kayvon Thibodeau staying in the footprint. And I think and, and you can go to Utah or you can go to Pullman, but if you're from the footprint, you're still playing in L.A. once a year. You're still playing in Seattle. You're still playing in the Bay Area. You're playing in you know, Salt Lake City. You're playing in media markets that you know, have juice around who you are and what you're about and celebrating your stories. So I think that's number two. And I think, I think number three is social justice. I think what's going on on Pac-12 campuses, and you hope around the country is, is well, I, I know around the country is really impressive in, in college communities. When you look at the actual footprints, though, um, which is different. You know, you reference DJ Angelele. You go back and look at his Twitter feed when there was a peaceful protest on Clemson's campus, and he put out a video where he said something along the lines of, I can't believe this is happening on my campus, and there's a Confederate flag rolling right through Clemson, South Carolina. It's, I think, you know, and these recruiting cycles or these recruiting circles are so tight now, especially with social media. All these guys are talking to each other. Their buddies growing up. They've all played in the same circuit, seven on seven, et cetera. But I think there's something to that of going to different regions and saying, hey, what's going on in that community? And it's not a slight. It's just kind of a reality of what is going on around the country. And I think you look at the Pac-12 footprints, nobody's perfect. But fundamentally, it's just a more progressive part of the world. And, and I think that when it gets down to it, uh, those are going to be three factors that I think will begin to sway some talent coming back. But we'll always lose some, you know. Now you referenced Jack Miller from Arizona at Ohio State. C.J. Stroud also went to Ohio State. Guys are going to want to go play at those big three schools. I don't think that's slowing down at all. To me, it's the other thing that you referenced, right? Can, can, can you find a player? And I think it's, it's nobody knew that Brock Purdy was going to be Brock Purdy, in my opinion, coming out of high school. Right, but we all knew Spencer Rattler, you know. But Jaden Daniels with ASU, you know. So I, I think we're always going to lose guys here and there. But to your point, you know, can we make sure the exodus isn't what it was two years ago when so many players left the footprint? Right. So part of it has having uh, big conference games, big games that excite kids because kids love that, the full stadium, the hype, the big TV audience and all that. And the conference schedule this year, Washington isn't playing USC or Utah. Oregon's not playing USC or ASU. That's four big crossover games that aren't happening. And so I think you miss those games, that's a negative. Now, the positive is maybe the league doesn't beat itself up so badly. Which way do you view that with these big games not happening? Well, I'm with you. Like, when the schedule came out, I was like, oh, man, SC is missing Oregon and UW. That was just mm-hmm. kind of the first thing that jumped out. And then I just kind of nerded it out. I went down the list of, like, well, what games are not happening that are notable, right? You referenced Washington, Utah. Um, I look at Oregon, ASU. Uh, yeah, Utah, Cal. I mean, there's some, some games. And then I uh, went to the conference office and I asked about it. And what I was reminded of was, like, this deal was made back in 2011 um, when you're talking about California schools were always going to play California schools. And that was the agreement. So if you look at it, in 2013 and 14, SC didn't play Oregon and UW. Same thing in 17 and 18. Same thing in 
you know, 21 and 22. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of the way that it works. The, the good thing is that the non-conference schedule is so strong uh, in this conference that I'm not too worried about it. And then I did a deeper dive, and, and Bama, granted, they played Georgia last year in the regular season because everything got slipped out of its head, but they didn't play it since 2015 in the regular season. Right? So it's not like conferences all across the country are making sure the best are playing the best. Um, and I think for us, it's not like it was decided this year to say, let's make sure that SC, Oregon, and Washington you know, have an easier path to a proverbial title, um, or Utah for, the, for that matter. It wasn't that at all. It was, hey, this is how the schedule has been laid out since 2011. So I look at the non-conference. I think they play 11 games against P5, uh, two obviously the traditional Notre Dame opponents, uh, five games against BYU, interestingly. That's a, a large number. It's good for the Cougars, good for us here in our community. You know how much we love college football and then to have BYU play teams that are you know, at least regionally local, if that makes sense. But I look at uh, 9-11, that's second Saturday in March, uh, Washington, Michigan, Cal, TCU, uh, Rumford's BYU, Utah, uh, uh, Colorado, A&M, and then uh, Oregon, Ohio State. Man, that is a big Saturday. How big of a deal are we going to put into the results on that Saturday, do you think? Huge. You know, I mean, you know how it works. It'll be a big deal in, in, in week zero when UCLA plays Hawaii, and then they got LSU yeah. the next week, right? I mean, I, I think that's right. the nature. And I think the big thing, and I just got done talking to Danny Cannell about it on his show early this morning of, in college football, we, we want to have everything, which is we want to hold people accountable to who they played in week one or week two to the point of Oregon, Auburn, Washington, Auburn, and say, well, they lost that game. Clearly, they're done for the season. And we also want to say, well, it's, it's the four best. So if Notre Dame or Clemson lose, it doesn't matter. They're still in the playoff in the ACC title. Like, to me, that's where the committee has to step in. Right? And they've always said four best, but that, for us, at least in the, in the Pac-12 conference, hasn't always held true. Um, and I think also from a conference standpoint, if you do lose one, let's just say Oregon loses to Ohio State, you got to go run the table and you got to go do your thing in that regard. We haven't seen a two-loss team in the playoffs. So I can be playing all day or make recommendations how the playoffs should change. I've done that for the better part of the entire playoffs tenure, um, but it doesn't matter. right? So hopefully we can just continue to beat the drum of depth and breadth of the conference, and then our teams need to show up and play and play well. Right, like we we can't go two and three against Utah, you know. Arizona's got to play or against BYU. Excuse me, Arizona's got to play well. Utah's got to. Those are the things, those little data points. And I say that I was on the inside this year as a presenter on the behalf of the Pac-12 to the CFP every other week. So I met with the Pac-12 representatives along with the Commissioner Scott, Merton Hanks, and our team, and I pitched and pitched hard. And we told them when we were disappointed with where the rankings were and how we felt the conference wasn't getting respect, and you saw where USC was ranked in multiple weeks. Uh, it felt like they heard us, but their actions didn't reflect similar opinions. So I do think there's something to you know, the narrative changing a little bit, which, which it already has begun to do that, in my opinion, and then going out and playing well in those games and getting a win in those games. Because we can look at Oregon State at Purdue. That's going to be a notable moment when the playoff committee gets going prior to Oregon and Oregon State. It just is. And I know it from being in it this year. So I, I don't think that we sit on the throne of it is for best. I think everybody in that room is an individual, and some of them think about for best right now at the end of the season. 
some use the data points along the way, um, and that to me is a major blemish within the process, which is the current playoff selection process. So is USC the uh, the favorite this year with 15 seniors and a quarterback back, or are you looking at somebody else in the league? It's really fun to kind of go through. You know, there, there's multiple teams that have over 80% of their roster returning from last year. Right? So I look at SC, to your point, Arizona State, they're positioned well. I mean, if they were, if they had USC's logo, they, they'd be picked, right? And as I went through the schedule, I kept circling, you know, critical games, and it was everybody against ASU. And I got to ASU schedule and said, yeah, I must think they're pretty good. So I think today on paper, I'd go Arizona State. And I don't know what uh, the offensive line of USC is going to look like. They hired Clay McGuire, a new line coach, so they're full-on air raid. Uh, I want to see what they're going to do in spring. Uh, they got to replace some really key players on defense, right? They had some guys in at the portal, uh, starting an inside inside backer, inside linebacker midseason. They lose Colin Ohofunga, obviously an All-American player. Uh, I think those two teams right now, on paper with what we know, are the two top teams in the South. But, man, like all the players, Utah returns, UCLA, you watch them on film, and there's times where you know they, they were able to do whatever they wanted. I mean – Remember, they, they took Oregon to the end with the backup quarterback in Chase Griffin last year. They have DTR, and maybe they win that ball game, which would be a huge moment for, for Chip Kelly and the turning point in what was a weird season last year. And then in the North, uh, Stanford, to me, was playing the best football in the conference last year at the end of the year. Like, if we went four best at the end or two best, Stanford would have been in the title game, in my opinion, the way that they just played. Cal returns pretty much everybody. It's amazing how many guys who could have gone to the league didn't let alone players like they got a 60-year senior center in Michael Safel, right? Those types of players are returning for that team. Cam Good, guys that have played a ton of football. I think it'll benefit them. And, and then I go to Washington, under the radar, man. Really, in my opinion, a little bit under the radar on the title scene conversation. They're a top 25 team, but they're loaded. NFL talent all over. Can their receivers take the next step will be the question, right? Notably, Puka Nakua, a five-star player coming out of you guys know your backyard there. Can he become the dude that we anticipated him becoming when he first got on campus? So I think there's a lot of teams at the top, uh, but if I had to make a prediction today, I'd pick Oregon and I'd pick Arizona State in their respective conferences knowing what we know. So you speak of Yogi as far as Oregon, just use a hypothetical, they lose to Ohio State. They got to run the table. Well, we're going into our 11th year into this conference with Utah and Colorado, and nobody has run the table. And you can throw out last year to an extent if you want to, fine. But still, nobody has gone 9-0. and zero. So it, it, it becomes, mathematically, it has, it has not happened. So I don't know that I can expect it to happen in uh, 2021. If it happens, I hope it's the Devils. But nevertheless... I'm wondering it, these big games that like Oregon's playing, and we saw that two years ago. What did they? I think they lost to Auburn, and and, they, and then they lose at the next to last uh, game of the season to the Devils, yeah, and all of a sudden they're out. Is there is there one? I don't know what the answer is. Can we somehow get the committee to acknowledge? Well, it's almost impossible to go nine and zero uh, in the Pac-12. So rather than this. Uh, Credit them for losing to Auburn. Give them credit for playing Auburn 
even though they lost a close game as opposed to playing the Citadel or somebody, knowing that you it's so difficult in this conference to go through unbeaten. Hey, man, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on that perch shouting from the rooftops as well. Um, and a lot of what my role was with the committee was giving them context. That last year was, a, was obviously in a unique season. Uh, but if, if allowed to be in that room again, I, I'll continue to beat that drum. And, and that's what you're talking about. Right? And that's what's not talked about around the country. Context, no one can give, you know, you know what about context. It's about <laughs> what's your record, right? What was the final score? You know, I, I can give you a 21-17 win in the SEC and it's a gritty win. I can give you the same score in the Pac-12 and then nobody's playing well. It's an ugly win, right? And that's just a narrative yeah. conversation. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've got to help that. Uh, and and we'll, we'll obviously we'll all do our best in that regard. But I'm with you. I, I don't see a team going undefeated in this conference. I, I think it's so hard to ask guys, A, to be that dialed in and that focused every week, right? Look at UW a couple of years ago. They lost at ASU late in the season. The year they went to the playoffs. Right? It was like it was like ten six. It was like one of those weird games. And everybody, nobody's got to play perfect this year. I think the challenge is is what you're referencing on the playoff because you know somebody from the Big Twelve might finish with one loss. ACC might finish with one loss. SEC might finish with one loss. Big Ten might finish with one loss. So if, if there's one loss teams from Power Five conferences, you say, well, those get in over the two loss. Yeah, and I understand that because we'd be making the same argument if it was flipped. Um, the challenge is that the ACC and the SEC continue to play past these schedules to a large degree in terms of weak crossover games, in my opinion, let alone uh, weak non-conference games, to you referencing the Citadel, no respect to, to that organization. But it's just a reality. When you look at Week 11 in this conference, it's Cal and Stanford. It's not Cal versus you know Louisiana Lafayette. And, and they're doing a nice job of Louisiana Lafayette. Right. See my point. Right. Uh, it's not nearly the type of competitive slate. Yeah. And we just keep going there. And I don't think that'll change. I get asked that all the time. Do you think the conference will change? You look at the Big Ten and the Big 12, they're playing non-conference games. You hear Coach Saban at least say all the time he's got no problem playing non-conference games. I don't know if they'll make those shifts in those conferences. Why would they? Because they continue to get paid by going to the playoff. Nobody's really missing the playoff from the SEC or um, Clemson and the ACC, respectively. So I don't know what will happen in that regard. But until the playoff committee – and or ESPN, and or the hypothetical college football commissioner's office, which I hope gets built someday, until they say, you know what, they actually play different styles of football in every region, and we should give every region and every Power Five conference and a group of five a berth. It'd make it more entertaining. It'd be better for the ratings. The ratings have been down and continue to drop in college football because people are bored. You know, and we all know who the top three teams are every year in the country, and they all get the benefit of the doubt if they do lay an egg and play a poor game. Right. Our conference doesn't get that. So week one, week two, in the non-con games that you referenced and the five against BYU, there's a great opportunity this year. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel the narrative shifting. I really do. I think there's a lot of NFL players in this conference. Uh, even yesterday, we threw it out for three hours talking about the schedule. I've done more national interviews in the last two days. Uh, about the schedule than I have in probably previous year's schedules combined. Uh, because people are talking about it, and there's buzz about it. And, and I like that, and you know that's the conference office making a, a big commitment to the hype around our teams and our conference and our league, and, and the coaches are, are loving that as well, and they should. 
And, and up to me, when you even look at recruiting, Cal was ranked where they were ranked. Washington class, Stanford uh, did well late. Oregon, of course, and SC kind of carrying it. Utah's done well and, and better the last couple of years getting bigger recruits. And when you look at that thing, you say, yeah, man, like Pac-12 football is actually really good. We might just be buried in the stats or the back page of the sports section with just some scores and little blurbs at the end of the, uh, every Sunday morning when they're looking at that. Well, Yogi, as always, we appreciate a few minutes to talk football, even with the jazz rolling. It's good to talk a little college football, and we will talk to you again in a little while, I expect. Yeah, anytime. I'd love to. There's Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks. Love to have him on and talk college football. When we come back, the best of the postgame show, Rudy and uh, Donovan go off. That's next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz get beat in Philadelphia in overtime. And yes, refereeing is going to be a big part of the postgame here. Donovan and Rudy were real upset. Um, I think Quinn Snyder was upset but didn't want to say as much. I thought the team played better. I thought they played a lot better than they did in New Orleans. I think they would have won in New Orleans if they played the way they did in Philadelphia. But they didn't, so they lost. Um, We'll get into some more of the basketball side of it. You're going to hear a lot about the refereeing. Jazz very frustrated with some calls, with a lot of no calls. And I thought that heated him up more than the calls, to be honest with you. All right, here's the best of the postgame show with Jake. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tough loss for the Utah Jazz going into the All-Star break. They fall to the Philadelphia 76ers in overtime, 131 to 123. Controversial game. The referees were, of course, a theme throughout all the postgame sound, which we'll get here momentarily. Donovan Mitchell ejected in the overtime period. Donovan had 33 points on 12-34, shooting 8 rebounds, 6 assists, but uh, did not uh, finish the game with his team as he was thrown out for the first time in his career. After Joel Embiid hit a prayer of a 3 to send it to overtime, the Sixers dominated the extra period, 13-5, and they go on to win 131-123. to The Jazz now 27-9. and uh, going into the All-Star break. Let's get some post-game sound, and uh, you're going to notice a theme <laughs> throughout these interviews, but let's start things off with Jazz Head Coach uh, Quinn Snyder. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Thank you. So, obviously, uh, down the stretch, you know, there were some whistles that didn't go your way. Um, seemed like maybe the team started kind of reacting to that. How did you feel about the calls that were made kind of in the in the stretch of the game and, and how that impacted uh, how you guys played at the end? Well, you know, the challenge is when you don't get the whistle that you want, um, those things always happen, and it's to play through it and to continue to compete. Um, I thought we did that. Um, obviously, you know, I heard Donovan's comments and – you know, obviously, there, there's a level of frustration uh, that he has, that we have, uh, and that's something that you know, presumably, you can't control. So, you know, give Philly credit. Embiid hit a big shot that three. 
we were on them, um, you know, trying not to give up a three. Um, and then we weren't able to, to close the other way and, you know, overtime got away from us. But uh, we just have to, you know, take break, regroup, and uh, continue to compete. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Donovan just said that he feels you guys are differently officiated than uh, than other teams are. Do you feel that way as well? Do you feel that there's a discrepancy? I, I think Donovan, you know, felt um, that there were a number of situations when he was driving the ball, Mike was attacking. You know, that's what you know we've talked about trying to do, and you know, to be able to play through contact. You know, I, I think it, it gets to a point when. You know, you feel like what you're doing defensively and what you're doing offensively um, are being perceived two different ways. And that's essentially what he was trying to express. Um, you know, we know that, you know, as, as we're trying to, to improve and beat some of the best teams in the league, that, you know, we've always got work to do. Um, but there is obviously a level of frustration with the things that you can't control. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder as his team falls 131 to 123. Let's uh, get into the player sound. Let's start things off with a uh, grumpy Donovan Mitchell. All right, we're going to start with Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Don, this is a game where both teams competed really like two of the best in the league. You guys were in a position to win. Things got a little chippy. Just how frustrating is this one for you? Um, first of all, I've got to, you know, give 76ers credit. They played a hard, hard game, you know. Joel does what he does. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're a good team. We competed. Um, but it's, 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 it's tough, KK. Like, it's tough to, to go out there and see how we fight and compete and to have a game like that taken from us. And I'm never, ever one to, to, to blame a ref, to blame an official. I could say I, we could have done more, but this is getting out of hand. You know, there have been games like this that we've won. There have been games like this that we've, we've we've lost, but this whole refereeing stuff and the way we're we're nice, we don't complain, we don't like we don't get frustrated. You know, we fight through things, and the fact that we just continually get get screwed in a way by this, you know, like we we won this game in my personal opinion, you know. But like I said, I'm gonna give them credit; they won, whatever, cool. But like this is it's it's a consistent thing, and you know the question is, can we can we do it? Can we sustain it? Are we for real number one? Like yeah, the hell we are, and it's getting it's getting ridiculous, KK. That this is this is what's happening. You know what I mean? We have a whole second half of the season to go and get ready for, but like I'm, I'm sick of it. To be honest with you, we all are, you know. And I think this is something that just. It, bite, it, it eats me. It eats at me, man. And it's, I don't, I don't, y'all know what it is. We all know what it is, but it's, it's really getting out of hand. It's really, really, really getting out of hand. And the league needs to do something about this because I want to see the last two minute report. I want to see it, but it's, it's getting out of hand. There's Donovan Mitchell, 33 points on 12-34 shooting, eight rebounds, six assists, but unhappy with uh, the officiating. Uh, sick of it uh, from what Donovan said. Uh, you could kind of tell that this has been something maybe that's been building uh, for a, a little while. And uh, simply put, he, he wants to see it get called both ways. Uh, let's now uh, go to Mike Conley. All right, we'll start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Mike. So, uh Don was obviously pretty upset about how the end of the game transpired, uh, said that he felt like you guys deserved to win the game, that the refs had uh, once again screwed you out of uh, being able to do that. That's just what's your view of how the end of the game was was officiated in the stretch? 
Um, you know, my view wasn't just the, the end of the game. I thought the game, you know, was getting out of hand a little bit earlier on. Um, we should have obviously executed better to win the game. Obviously, Jim, uh, Joel hit a big shot. Um, a really tough shot. Otherwise, you know, we have a, a really good chance to win that. But um, it, it's tough. It's tough because we fought so hard, did all the things we could control. Um, and we always say try to control what you can control. And tonight there were some things that were out of our control. And, um, you know, and I'm proud of our guys for fighting through it. You know, it's frustrating to lose any time, but especially when you, you, you fought so hard to, to get that dub. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Donovan said that he felt you guys are differently officiated at times. Do you feel that way? I felt that way my whole career, honestly. You know, it's just that that small market. You know, we don't have the um, you know we don't have the, the the big time names. You know, the ones that are all over the TV and stuff like that. So um, it can get a little wild for us, but. Um, you know, we have stars. You know, Don's a star. Rudy's a star. Um, Boyan, guys that, that deserve to get those calls. And um, and it's just not happening for us right now. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate. Just a quick follow-up. Did you feel like Donovan's uh, technical warranted? Um, yeah, I think, you know, obviously you, you, you want him to – we need him. <laughs> we need him in the game. Um, but – um, at that point in the game, man, you know, I, he's young. He's going to have, have nights where he's going to get, get, get frustrated like that. And he has to let that out at some point. And uh, maybe that'll, you know, draw some attention. Um, and, we'll win the, and we'll win the war later. You know, it's just one battle tonight. And uh, it's a long season ahead. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Hey, Mike, what did you see on the uh, last play of regulation? Looked like a pretty good look. Yeah, um, you know, first I, we were checking to see if we were calling timeout. Uh, looked over at coach; he told told us to go, and um, I think we all liked the look we got. I mean, you know, Donovan was a little bit denied early. I got the ball and was able to uh, uh, get a look at the elbow that you know another revolution that might go in. You know, just a very comfortable shot and uh, one I've made a thousand times. So um, that's just unfortunate it didn't go in. There's Mike Conley, 18 points, two rebounds, two assists for Mike. But uh, he talked about how he feels he's been battling the ref issue uh, for his whole career. And that it's a small market thing. And as Mike seemed to think that uh, Rudy Donovan even mentioned Bogdanovich. Uh, deserves a, a little more benefit of the doubt from the officiating crew. Let's now go with, uh, we'll wrap things up with Rudy Gobert. I mean, every season, to be honest, I think we, you know, uh, as I've been in this league and I've been watching a lot of games, um, you know, I feel like a lot of guys are able to do things that we're not able to do. And, you know, our guys um, are not able to get some calls that everybody else in the league gets. So, you know, we, don't, we know that we're the Utah Jazz and we, you know, maybe some people don't want to see us, you know, go as far as, I believe that we can go, but um, it's disappointing. It's disappointing because I believe that I think the Sixers played play a great game. You know, I don't want to, you know, they are a very good team. Uh, you got to give them credit, but I believe that we deserve to win that game. And, you know, when my guys are getting far uh, three times in a row, Mike Conley is going to the rim. 
they grabbing him right in front of the officials and there is no car and you know and on the, on the other side there's cars that are invisible that are being made um, I think it's disrespectful to be honest to the game of basketball and to our team and you know hopefully they're going to watch the game uh, you know when they get home we all we all do I watch it too but uh, hopefully they feel ashamed when they watch the game and we know that uh, you know when you're a small market, I don't want to say that, but I, I really believe it. You know, after, after playing in this league for eight years, it's a little harder, and that's one of the things that uh, we got to overcome. And that's why I told the guys, you know, when you're a small market, you gotta, you gotta be better than just better. You gotta be, you know, you gotta be elite, and uh, we gotta control what we can control. But it's uh, very disappointing to be disrespected like that. And, and especially for my for my guys, you know that you know we work so hard. You know, it's, uh, it's the last game of the road trip, and we're in a position to win the game, and they just get disrespected. Uh, and it's not just one play because you know we all make mistakes. You know, I, I mean, uh, I have a lot of respect for the officials. You know, I think it's a tough, it's a tough job. I think they, you know, I think they try their best, but you know, there's just too many. It was too obvious tonight. They can't make it that obvious. You know, and we're gonna we're gonna watch film and do all that. We're gonna keep getting better, but we just deserve a little more respect, you know, as a team and uh, and as, as human beings too, for all the work that we put in. You know, and hopefully we get it second half of the season. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Was there a point, Rudy, you thought that the officiating was worse, or like where you guys got most frustrated, or do you think it was something that was happening throughout the game? I mean, I'm trying. You know, when I when I'm on the court, I'm trying not to focus on that. Um, I don't think it was bad throughout the game. You know, I think he got really bad uh, in the fourth and uh, in the overtime, obviously. But. Uh, I mean, how much I can say, you know, I'm going to watch the game. I mean, I watch, like, I watch what guys are getting on one end and what we're getting on the other end. And it can be just mistakes. You know, at some point, like, those guys, two of those officials have a lot of experience. You know, I know these guys and, you know, I mean, I know all their names and I, I, have, I have a lot of respect for them, but tonight they didn't have respect for us. And that can happen because we're nice, we're nice guys. You know, Mike Conley never had a technical in his life and they don't respect him. So maybe he should get more technicals. I don't know what he needs to do. Mike Conley to get some respect. Like, uh, at some point, I don't know what he needs to do. And, you know, we... I mean, we shouldn't have to say it, but we have to say it because, you know, uh, everyone's watching. We know, everyone knows what's going on. And uh, if we don't say it now, uh, you know, we just won't. It might be too late. So uh, we just we just want a little more respect. That's it. You know, as basketball players, as human beings, and, you know, and uh, especially Garmin. I say Mike, but Mike Donovan, all our guys, you know, uh, they just deserve to be treated the same way the other players on the other team are treated, regardless of which team it is, which market it is. Uh, you know, for the beauty of the game, I think it's, uh, it's the minimum that we can, you know, we can ask. That's it. There's Rudy, 12 points, 9 boards, 
Uh, and uh, Rudy backing up a lot of what Donovan Mitchell had to say, feeling disrespected, unhappy uh, with the officiating. And like Donovan said, he felt like uh, they should have won uh, this game tonight. One uh, interesting note about Rudy, he was not actually scheduled to give comment uh, during the postgame. He uh, went into the media room, sat down and said, uh, I'm going to give my thoughts on this one. So there's Rudy. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some uh, fines announced a little bit later on today for uh, Donovan Mitchell and probably uh, Rudy Gobert. But there you go. Jazz final game going into the All-Star break. They lose to the Sixers 131 to 123. Next uh, Jazz broadcast will be a week from Friday. They'll take on the Rockets here at Vimin Arena. That game will tip at 8. Pre-game coverage will begin at 7. There is the best of the post-game show. And when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.